right, welcome back to the big program just after 10 o'clock in Edmonton and time to talk a little NBA basketball and in particular the uh, Toronto Raptors with the play-by-play man Eric Smith. Uh, Eric, welcome back to Sports 1440. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great out here. Uh, just your thoughts uh, last night, Eric, on the uh, Raptors' 136-130 loss to the Knicks and uh, just in a bit of a, a funk right now with uh, a few losses in a row. But uh, what did you make of the game last night? It's it's kind of the script that seems to be um, written for the Raptors so often this year, unfortunately, where, um, you know, it, well, I guess maybe there's two scripts, to be honest with you. One is nip and tuck, nick and, nip and tuck all game, and then all of a sudden, come fourth quarter, come last couple of minutes, the opposition seems to pull away. Or the other script is dig themselves a big hole early, try and pull themselves out of it. You might do so by, you know, halftime or by third quarter, then nip and tuck fourth quarter and things fall apart. <laughs> it seems to be that's the way things are going for the Raptors. And, and it's why a lot of people, at least out this way, uh, right, wrong, or otherwise, have been calling for, well, do you need a change to the starting lineup? Is there something that needs to be done with the roster, et cetera? Because um, we're now past that quarter point of the season. We're only just into the second quarter of the season. But, you know, generally, typically, cliche or otherwise, you kind of say, I think a lot of times in hockey, basketball, football, or otherwise, Give it, a, give it a quarter of the season. And, of course, in basketball, that's 20 games. Give it 20 games. Yeah. Let's see where this team is at. Then we'll know what this team is. And I think um, the most consistent thing about this team has been their inconsistency. And as good as they can be one night, it could be out the door the next. And I think it's still a team struggling to sort of find its identity, let alone find that consistency that I speak of. And that's what ultimately, I think, plagued them last night. Uh, Eric Smith with us on Sports 1440. So Raptors now with a record of a 9-14. Eric, are you kind of seeing that separation start to happen in you know in the conference where you see between the Nets and the Heat and then there's that little bit of a drop-off? Are you seeing that? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, and unfortunately for the Raptors, obviously, you know, a four-game losing streak doesn't help matters because just about a week ago, we would have said, well, they're kind of right in the mix, you know, they're right in the thick of things. And, and now because of this four-game skid, they're, they're getting pushed a little bit further back. Um, you know, if we were to rewind a couple of months, and you have to take me for my word, I know we've spoken before, um, but, but I would have said to you if we were doing a season preview that I think that the Raptors are probably right in the middle. Like, they're not a top four, top five seed in the East. Do they have a chance to maybe get to six? Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. to get in one of those locked-in playoff spots. But chances are they're probably somewhere in that seven, eight, nine, ten range again, where they're fighting in the the you know the play-in tournament like they did last year, where they unfortunately blew that big lead against uh, Chicago and ultimately bowed out. And I, I I look at this team and think I still believe they are that team. And I also look at the East and think, okay, Boston's pretty good, Milwaukee's pretty good. I think there are some uh, dents in the armor in Philadelphia. And I look at the rest of the the, the East and go, ah. I don't know. Does anybody really scare me? Now, having said that, Toronto's part of that conversation. I'm sure other teams are looking at the Raptors, too, saying, yeah, they're pretty good, but do they scare us? And and the reason I bring that up is I I feel like the Raptors could quite easily or quite quickly go on a four-game winning streak and be right back in the mix. But are they going to be able to go on enough of a tear, enough of a run to suddenly vault themselves into a top four or five in the East? Probably not. So I don't think they're that far off from what I thought they'd be. I just didn't think they would be five below at this point and on the outside of even the play-in at this point. So I think they're kind of scuffling right now, and if they can get themselves back into that mix to at least put themselves in a position by mid-season, let alone end of the season, to be in that play-in conversation, then that's probably where they should be 
if we're being honest about things. This was a 500 team last year that I think didn't necessarily get worse, but did they drastically improve? Eh, probably not. So if status quo says they're probably somewhere around 500, a couple of games up, a couple of games below. So they're kind of in that mix of where we thought they'd be. But this, again, current skid hasn't really helped matters. Eric, are they, like, where are they, you know, buyer or seller? Like, if they keep losing a couple games, do they immediately go into sell mode here for trades? Or if they were to win, can they improve on their roster? But you keep hearing more and more rumors with the swirling of trade rumors just regarding a lot of their stars like mm-hmm. Pascal and OG and things like that. No, I, I, I think that... I think they're still kind of in wait-and-see mode, but I don't know how much longer they can wait um, or want to wait because uh, as much as we talked off the top about the inconsistencies, well, one of the things that has become consistent is the team has not been very good in terms of three-point shooting this year. I think defensively, at times, they've been very good, and certainly they have uh, a couple of solid, if not a few, very solid defensive players and maybe arguably one of the top three, five defensive players in the entire league in OJ and Obi. I think Scotty Barnes has turned into a pretty damn good defender in his young career, and Pascal Siakam has defended well for the most part this season. But outside of that, I think they're giving up large percentages to the opposition quite a bit. And again, I bring up that three-point shooting among the worst in the league. You combine that with a high amount of turnovers, and I think we've started to see what the Raptors are, at least in certain spots. And that gives Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster I think enough of a sample size to say, okay, can we continue to do this for the next 20 games or are improvements needed at this point? And I think they have to keep an eye to what comes in the offseason when you've got free agency and or restricted free agency coming with uh, multiple key players, as you bring up, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent, and others. And you just came off an offseason where Fred Van Vliet left as a free agent and there was no compensation coming back, not a sign-and-trade, uh, not a deal where you moved him first, you left him, or, or he left you, excuse me, completely outright. So I think you have to have an eye on that. If not for anything else, then um, retention of assets. You can't actually afford uh, to have, let's say, hypothetically, I'm not going to win Europe, it doesn't happen, in back-to-back seasons, having, let's say, Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam walk away and you've got nothing back in return. Um, I think that leaves your cover pretty bare. So I think the decision will come, um, I don't mean to be vague here, but I think sooner than later, if a decision is coming to make a trade, because the reason I say sooner than later, I don't foresee the Raptors waiting until uh, February or the trade deadline and, and, and suddenly waiting until that point. I think if they are going to make a call on a, on a splash deal, on a, a deal that includes maybe one of their big you know, cornerstone-type guys, I think it's something that maybe comes more so in the next, you know, two weeks or in the next month, not in the next two to two and a half months, if that makes sense. Yeah, Raptors play-by-play broadcaster uh, Eric Smith is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Uh, not sure if you how familiar, familiar you are, uh, Eric, with the story that's sort of just been breaking this morning. Not really breaking, but just a little bit more between the Knicks and the Raptors and all this uh, proprietary uh, information theft. Uh, is this a bigger story than what it is, or is it just, uh, you know, it's totally off court and, you know, just kind of see how it plays out? What do you know about it? What can you say about it? I certainly know of the story. I'd be lying if I said I knew a lot of the details because everybody has been hush-hush. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's essentially uh, the Knicks claiming that the Raptors uh, did them wrong and essentially, uh, for lack of a better term, stole information from the Knicks when Toronto went out 
and, uh, and, and brought in one of the Knicks coaches and video guys in the offseason and joined the Raptors staff. Um, Darko Ryakovich just a couple of weeks ago, uh, actually, was it even that long? Maybe a week and a half ago when the Knicks were in uh, Toronto, Darko was asked by a couple of the New York writers in his pregame press conference, and, and I, I believe, if I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but um, it was a pretty direct question like, um, are you nervous about this lawsuit and do you have anything to hide? Something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Darko looked like he's kind of taken aback at first. And he said, listen, I, I'm a man of integrity. I've made my career, my reputation on my, my name and my work ethic, my integrity. I have nothing to hide. I'm positive and, and absolutely uh, convinced that the truth will come out and, and we have nothing to hide, but I have nothing to say on the matter, like nothing else to say. Um, so any information I have at this point, quite honestly, is exactly what you've read. I, I, if, I, if I had more for you and, and more light to shed, I would. Um, I, I won't sit here and claim that I know Coach Ryakovich extremely well because it's just his first season with the Raptors, but what I do know of him and what I've been able to, to get from him is he is a man that you can take for his word. And for a guy that's been working as long in this league as he has, with various organizations, with n- numerous head coaches, with the respect of a ton of the players, I'd be extremely surprised if there was any wrongdoing here. And I would even say the Raptors and the reputation that this front office has, and Masai Ujiri specifically, and Bobby Webster, who used to work for the NBA head office, I know the rules. They know what you can and can't do. Again, I would be extremely surprised if this ultimately turned out to be true and the Raptors were guilty of something to the point where they have to compensate the Knicks monetarily or via draft picks, et cetera. I'd be very surprised. Mm-hmm. I, well, I think you explained it very well, Eric, for for the being, a, you know, it's an ambiguous subject right now, but I think you uh, ex- explained it very, very well. Uh, on the court, what what have you made of Dennis Schroeder so far in his, you know, just in, in the first, whatever, quarter plus poll of the season? What, what have you made of, of, of this guy? I think he's been good. Um, I was a huge, and am a huge, huge fan uh, professionally, let alone personally, of Fred Van uh, and I was, you know, somewhat concerned, and I think a lot of people were about what the the point might look like for the Raptors, and and uh, if there would be a uh, noticeable void. And I don't mean this as a criticism to Fred. I think the Raptors have kind of been pretty much what I thought they might have been, even with Fred. Mm-hmm. So that speaks to Dennis specifically. I think he's done generally a relatively solid job. I think for the most part, though, he fits into what we talked about up the top, and the inconsistency. I think as a playmaker, he's been okay. He's been a pretty decent defender. And then as a scorer and a shot maker, when he's on, the team's a lot different. Because when he's making three-point shots and it's not just relying on OG Ananobi uh, and you've got another threat out there, it makes the Raptors that much better because it balances and spreads their offense that much more. But when he's off, it's noticeable. So, again, it's not to lay it all at Dennis Schroeder's feet, but I think when, when he does not have a good night, when he has, like he did a couple of games ago, a 4-18 or he's got a 3 of 14 or whatever it might be, when he has those nights where he struggles, I think the Raptors struggle struggle overall because they just don't have that balance to the offense. And I think because of the three-point shooting, as I talked about, being among the worst in the league, teams are now suddenly starting to realize, all right, we could pack in on the paint. We can try and suck off and cut off the lane from uh, Pascal Siakam, from Scotty Barnes, from even OG if he wants to drive. We'll give you the perimeter. We'll pack in the paint. We'll suck it in defensively and force you to beat us from the perimeter. And unfortunately, whether it's Schroeder, whether it's Gary Trent, whether it's Siakam, outside of maybe OG and Scotty Barnes, who's become a pretty decent shooter, the Raptors don't have a lot of perimeter threat. And I think that's why they're starting to struggle. And I think that plays into what you're asking 
specifically mm-hmm. with Dennis Schroeder. Uh, one last one for you, Eric. Uh, Eric Smith, Toronto Raptors play-by-play man. Uh, Atlanta, two games uh, back-to-back in Toronto mm-hmm. tomorrow and Friday. What's up with that? <laughs> it's a little wrinkle that the uh, league brought in. Was it? I'm trying to remember now, to be honest <laughs> with you, if it was last season or two seasons ago. Raptors have had a couple of these as well where uh, kind of baseball style where they're going with to try and cut down on the travel for a lot of teams instead of making uh, you know clubs uh, travel back to certain cities multiple times in one season. Uh, there are two or three sets of these throughout the season that most teams deal with where they will have uh, two games against the same team in the city at like a little mini baseball series. So it's, it's just an added wrinkle. It's the NBA's way of trying to cut down on travel for the players, and that's pretty much it. I don't love it necessarily. Um, uh, you know, I kind of like having it spread out over the course of the season. But uh, I at least understand what the what the league is doing in, in trying to cut things down a little bit, and and um, I, I don't have a better answer for you than that because I think that truly is just the answer. Is it's just trying to cut down on the travel, and uh, hence the reason even the New York Knicks, who the Raptors saw last night, they're going on a I believe four or five game quote unquote West Coast trip, but the first four are out west, and then they come back home and play the Brooklyn Nets, albeit in New York. So yes, they've come home, but they play the Brooklyn Nets before their road trip is officially over. And we had something similar with the Raptors a few years ago where they went out west, and I'm making it up, but it was something like you know Denver, Utah, Sacramento, Phoenix, come all the way back east to play Boston and then head home. So there's just some wonky way that the league looks at their travel plans and travel schedules, trying to tick off and check off these little boxes and try and cut, on, cut down on things for the for the teams and the players overall. Well, forward home here, and maybe the Raptors can uh, erase this little four-game skid and get back on the winning track. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it, and thanks uh, for talking Raptors basketball with us. Anytime, thanks. That's uh, Eric Smith, Toronto Raptors play-by-play man as the Raptors, after losing last night to the New York Knicks, 136-130, will be home to the uh, Atlanta Hawks uh, game tomorrow and then Friday. Uh, Homestand continues on Monday against Charlotte and then Denver in town and uh, boy they've got a busy schedule over the holiday season the Raptors do when we come back a little more pre-game talk Oilers Blackhawks Troy Murray the pride of St. Albert will uh, check in Chicago Blackhawks analyst uh, that's coming up on the Kevin Carey show right after the break stay with us all right welcome back to the big program 1021 in Edmonton Let's welcome in uh, our next guest, uh, Troy Murray from the Chicago Blackhawks and our puck report brought to you by Fountain Tire. Right now during the Road Ready Sales event, you can save up to $225 on select tires and a bonus of $50 off any service until December 16th. Book your appointment at FountainTire.com. Some restrictions do apply as we uh, welcome in Troy Murray back to Sports 1440. Morning, Troy. Thanks for coming on again. Good morning, Kevin. Anytime. Appreciate well, it. You know, we just had an old, I guess a foe of yours, but a local guy. We had Brian Benning on for a whole hour. You you would have played oh, against sure. Benny for, what, seven or eight years, I guess, in the league? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew the, knew the Benning family real well from uh, from the area. Yeah, Jim and, right. of course, Elmer and everything, right? Yep, yep. So, uh, you get back yeah, into... Brian, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Brian lives out in St. Albert, right behind a good friend of mine. And? Who's that? Oh, each other. So my best friend, Dave Lacroix. And, and oh, okay. Brian lives right right behind him up in, I don't know what area that is in St. Albert, Oakland, Oakland. Well, the ritzy part of town, we know that. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, well, thanks for hopping on again. Uh, we talked about a, a month and a half ago, right when uh, the Hawks season was getting going. How would you kind of assess things, how they've been going now, you know, a couple of months in? How, how would you say the Hawks are doing with a, a young team trying to, to build and find its way still? When you look at the Blackhawks and the makeup of it, they just they had four rookies playing on defense for the majority of the first part of the season. They just made some adjustments. Um, so it, it, uh, I, I guess the one word you would use is inconsistent. They they weren't able to string two victories together until last week when they had a four-game homestand. And so, you know, Luke Richardson with a young group of guys, you know that there's going to be um, – mistakes being made but at the same time you want to see the, the progress heading in the right direction and I guess for all intents purposes you know maybe you would hope that they, you would have some better results but at the same time you know you have to be really patient when you're when you're looking at this young roster completely different makeup than what they had last year because last year you know they had a roster full of guys that were they're NHL players but kind of your middle six type of players other than you know Patrick Kane who was banged up last year they didn't really have the high-end skill. It was a bunch of guys that knew how to play. And then this year, uh, a lot of inexperience. So there's a lot of growing pains with this young group of guys. It's been really fun, obviously. You're going to ask me about uh, Sonny Bedard here in the, in the next question, but it's been a lot of fun this year watching this team kind of progress. I was going to give you one or two questions uh, off until we get to Connor, Troy, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you did mention Luke Richardson. How has he handled uh, this head coaching job and trying to, I guess, shape and mold these young players and, and build for the future here? Yeah, he's been great. He was great last year in, in keeping a really positive uh, atmosphere around the group of guys and, you know, a lot of them knew that they weren't going to be back, and a lot of them knew last year that the, at the trade deadline that we were looking to move players on for, for assets and prospects in this uh, rebuild growth uh, movement that the Blackhawks have. So Richardson has done a fantastic job last year in, in keeping everything in positive. And this year, you know, being realistic about uh, maybe some of the expectations and the, the growing change, as a, as a head coach, you, you want to see results, and it's a results-driven league obviously, but at the same time with this, you know, rebuilding process that they have, you, you want to see the growth in guys like Bedard. You want to see it in Lucas Reichel, the, the four rookies that they have on, on defense, which has been really impressive. If you get an opportunity, watch this kid, Alex Blasek, tonight. He's 6'6", okay. 220 pounds. He's 21 years of age. He played the, basically the entire year in Rockford last year because they wanted the young players to play in Rockford last year and not expose them to, um, you know, the, the, the way that the team was kind of structured last year about more veterans and uh, letting the younger guys possess. And he's come along so far in, in a quick span here. And just he's a great skater. And at six six, he's he's just he, like he sticks out. And they've got another guy, Louis Crevier, that has played the last several games. He's six eight, so they've got some size with some of their younger players. He's only twenty two years of age. And, Richardson's done a fantastic job of, of letting these guys kind of understand what it's like to play in the NHL. Maybe some frustration with some of the growing pains, uh, but you have to expect that. He's done a great job. How about these? Like, I mean, Vlasic's only 22, played a full season in Rockford, but he's plus seven this year on a team that, you know, has been kind of bidding, getting outscored. I mean, Vlasic has to be one of the bright spots on that back-end blue line. Hundred percent, and whoever he's played with this year, he's made that person better. Whether it's been Connor Murphy, whether it's been Seth Jones, those guys' numbers 
are all better when they're playing with Vlasic. And, you know, here's a kid that, you know, they, they wanted him to play the big minutes last year in Rockford, you know, to be the guy and be on the power play, be on the penalty play, the, the last minute of the game to protect leads. And uh, it, it just his growth was tremendous from the beginning of last year to the end of last year. And then coming into training camp this year with a completely different confidence mindset uh, uh, that he's just he's been gracious. He's really looking forward to how this kid is going to grow in the NHL because he just he can't keep size and he's got great skating ability. So you know the, the upside is endless for him. Troy Murray with us on Sports 1440, Blackhawks uh, color analyst. And well, I wasn't going to mention him, but you brought him up, Connor Bedard. Uh, <laughs> you know, and we talked about it at the very beginning a couple of months ago uh, when we first spoke, uh, Troy, on Sports 1440. Just that that beginning schedule for the Hawks, parading him around, and he handled himself so well. How has he continued to kind of uh, grow and and I guess handle what it takes to be an NHL player on a day to day basis? very impressed uh, with Connor and his maturity level. The ask of him coming into the, this year's season was incredible. In five of the first six games, you mentioned the tough schedule of the Blackhawks open, uh, season opener. The first five were on the road. Four of those were home openers. You came home to play the Vegas Golden Knights in the home opener. Then you played Boston at home and then went into Vegas it was incredible. We were in Toronto, Montreal. The first matchup of his career was in head-to-head against Sidney Cosby, the opening face-off of the season, basically. Um, played Boston the next uh, the next game in Montreal. And, and so the circus around Connor Bedard has just been incredible. I haven't seen anything like this, and I'm not even sure that the hype was there with, with Patrick Kane like it is with, um, you know, with Connor Bedard. But he's held it. Uh, he's held his own in, in all the media scrums. There's been some controversy, obviously. He's handled that extremely well. And, and if you just look at the, um, if you look at the, have we got you, Troy? Um, no, the, the, I'm actually sitting in the uh, at the morning skate here. Yeah. Security just came in and, and was trying to kick me out of the. <laughs> don't don't they know who you are? <laughs> I was trying to tell him with sign language, and he wasn't buying it, so I had to dig for my credentials. Are you behind the glass, or where are you up top? No, I'm right behind the the, uh, the bench. Yeah, oh, okay. They have a section down at the end where everybody's supposed to watch, but uh, they let me sneak in every now and then to a different area. <laughs> oh. But Connor Bedard has been great. I mean, the pressure that he's been under, the, the media scrutiny that he's been under, and the ask of him every single game, and... Just the, the way he's handled it, it hasn't really affected his play. He's just a, he's a great young man, and, and uh, he's an 18 year old guy that that gets what he means to the NHL, and uh, he handles that responsibility uh, incredibly well. Troy Murray with us on Sports 1440. A player that's just one year older than Connor Bedard is Kevin Korchinski. What's he looked like on the black on the back end for the Blackhawks? Well, he's actually uh, away from the team right now for family reasons. Um, there were some health issues uh, um, that he had to deal with. So he's actually on a non-roster spot. Uh, it was kind of a sudden thing that happened. But, uh, you know, here's a young guy. And I, this is a great example of, of what a lot of people are looking to do as far as changing the rules. For Korchinski, I don't know if it benefits him to go back and, and play in, in juniors anymore. He just, you know, he's so good. His level is above that. 
and you'd think that maybe you would stunt his progression if he goes back and plays junior. Is he young? Is he you know experienced enough to play full time at the NHL? It's a tough you know call for him to be you know the guy that, that he was in juniors. This is, this is the best league in the world, and obviously it, it's tough to play in. And for Kaczynski, I think that you know he's going to stay with Chicago all season long. But it probably would benefit a guy like Kortinsky to be in a position where he can go down and play in the American Hockey League and get an understanding of what it's like to play at the professional level without the pressure of playing in the NHL. But that rule is not available to him. He's got to play in the NHL or go back to juniors. So um, he's been great. The upside for him is tremendous. His, his offensive abilities is off the charts. And... Uh, you know, again, another great prospect that the Blackhawks have that the future looks good because of those type of players. Any chance, Troy, that he gets released to the World Junior Team? I don't think that that's in the plan uh, as it stands right now. They 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 kind of talked about that, and I, I'm not sure, you know, how long he's going to be away from the team right now. It, 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 you know, it's one of those things where you respect the privacy of what's going on uh, with the health issue in his family. So. You know, we'll see what happens, but that was not in the, in the plans for him to go to the World Juniors. Yeah, I mean, there's so many guys at the World Junior Team, as you know, that uh, could be going, but are just, you know, it's changed. Have you seen that dynamic in the sense that the players that, you know, that might have been released by their teams are just playing so darn well that the teams can't afford to let them go? Yeah, you know, each team's going to be in a different and unique position. If you're in a contending team and the guy is a big part of your team, you don't want to lose that for a while. There's always the possibility, and we've seen this with Kirby Doc when he went and played the World Juniors, hurt himself, and you're going to get hurt wherever you play, so that's not really an excuse. But I think everybody looks at it in a different situation as far as where their team is, where they're at, and I think... Like for Korczynski, if he didn't play there last year, I think there'd be more talk about it because it's a, it's a phenomenal experience. I was there on the team in 1980 when they actually won the first gold medal in the World Junior competition. Um, and it's just, it's an experience that a lot of these, uh, that age of, of player, if they have that opportunity, it's such a unique tournament and it's such a big tournament now compared to the way it was before that, I, I think every young player, if he has that opportunity to at least do that once, um, then you, you want to give him that opportunity. So I don't think you want to take that away from him. And so again, if Porcinski didn't play last year, probably we wouldn't would be in a situation to, to go to that the team this year. Boy, does it feel like it's 40 years since the World Junior for you? <laughs> no, it's just love. Every time I look in the mirror, I understand it's 40 years. <laughs> but uh, it's... Uh, you know, we were actually just talking about it the other day, and our defense in that World Juniors was Randy Moeller, mm-hmm. Darth Blitzer, Gary Nyland, Gord Klesak, um, a guy named Paul Boutillier, and I miss him, uh, James Patrick. I mean, oh our, our defense was, was, was huge and good, and every one of those players went on and had an excellent NHL career. Well, you had four goals and four assists, I believe, in the tournament. But just the guys that you're mentioning that were on that team defensively, I mean, that's just an amazing defensive core. But you also had guys like Mark Abscheid and Scott Arneal and uh, Paul Sir. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. you guys were loaded. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a good team. Mike Morrison, uh, Dave Morrison, you know, like, but it was, it was kind of, it was funny because they didn't really 
have a good idea how you know to have a selection process. And there was actually a, a, a big to do being made of the fact that I was a collegiate player playing in the World Juniors, and then heaven forbid they named me as the captain of that World Junior team. Um, there was a lot of eyebrows being raised with how can the, you know the college kid mm-hmm. be the captain of the World Juniors team in Canada? But uh, I'll give Sherry Dasson a lot of credit. Uh, Bob Strum, a big part of it, and Dave King, who was the coach of that team, said, you know, this is our guy, and we're going to stick with them regardless of you know what everybody thinks we should do is making them captain. But we had a great team that Randy Moeller, Mike Moeller, the two Moeller brothers, you know, we had a great group of guys. And when you look back and some of the guys that, that didn't make the team, Brian Bellows didn't make the team. Um, uh, um, Al McGinnis didn't make the team. He got cut. Tony Tanton, who was the top scorer in juniors, he, he didn't make the team. So they kind of had an idea of what they wanted to do. It wasn't necessarily a, a complete all-star team. They wanted to build a, a group of guys that, they felt that they could win with, and, and we were able to accomplish that. It was, a, it was an amazing opportunity, you know, for me as a young player to be involved in that. And I'm sure that that's the feeling with all these young guys now that, um, you know, there's so much made of it, there's so much publicity. You get the opportunity to make one of those teams. It's something very special. Uh, one last one for you, Troy, and I didn't get the chance to ask you this the last time you were on, but when you played for the St. Albert Saints before you, you went off to the University of North Dakota, Doug Messier was your coach, and Mark was there for a little yeah. bit too. But what was it like, I guess, to have Doug Messier as your head coach? What was he like? Well, he, he was old school. I'll <laughs> tell you that much. And uh, I, I was, you know, I was playing at a, at a young age, and, and back in those days, that tier two league with with Red Deer, Prince Albert, and the Saskatchewan uh, league. It was a nasty league, and uh, you know there were some overage guys that were playing in the league. It was a very tough league. It was, it was an intimidating league, and that's the way that you know Doug Messe used to structure his teams at the old Spruce Grove Mets. Um, you know, if we didn't have the toughest guy, we had the three toughest next next guys in line type of thing. And boy, it was uh, it was a battle. I loved playing with Doug. I loved playing with Mark. He was kind of a guy that you know I grew up with in St. Albert and. and Got to know him as a person and as a, as a guy that, uh, you know, away from the ice as well. Just loved that opportunity. He was one of my favorite players when I played in the NHL to, to watch the way that he played and his great years, his leadership. I mean, playing with Mark and for Doug was, was, a, was a luxury. I really enjoyed it. He was a great coach. Hey, Troy, thanks so much for taking the time. You can get back to the uh, morning skate with the Oilers just on the ice uh, right now and then the Hawks to follow. Hopefully, I bump into the rink tonight. Thanks a lot for doing this. Kevin, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you hopefully tonight. That's Troy Murray, Chicago Blackhawks analyst, and our puck report brought to you by Fountain Tire. You can ask about seasonal tire storage once you get your winter tires put on, and you should have them on by now, Duke. This is very important. I mean, you, you've you've run the gamut about all your what direction you were going. It's winter time, Kev. Yes. It's uh, there's no there's no sugar coating it anymore. That uh, as each day that passes, however, we should only just be counting our blessings that the weather remains as favorable as it has. But uh, I think we are the um, the El Nino, uh, which I believe is responsible for this kind of fair early winter weather. Um, it will soon no longer be uh, be giving us such a gift. A high today of plus three is what we're looking at, but plus six tomorrow. And here we are. We're almost halfway through December. We are not looking at 
highs in the negative temperatures until next week. Hmm. Those are highs at night, you know, we're, and it's still gorgeous at night. Minus four, five, six, seven. At uh, so when I was back in Delburn this past weekend, Snowflake Saturday, they got the uh, the uh, the horse teams pulling some wagons around town. Uh, had the the niece and nephew with me. We hopped on one, and it was it was brisk because the wind was going a little bit. But I mean, hey, you uh, you get your toque on, your gloves, and a, a extra coat maybe, and it's still pleasant enough. A hot chocolate in your hand, perhaps. So they got the bales on the wagon. Uh, some of them, yeah. Some of them were oh, like had just a bench inside the inside the wagon running so up inside. Each side. So not like a big flat deck. Uh, no, not these ones. Okay. No, it's like, it's like an actual like horse drawn wagon. Yeah. So yeah, I was on oh, one. But, yeah. Yes, but no, it's like boxed on the side. Okay, and, boxed. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of like uh, you know, like the uh, not quite. Picture but it's, the Oregon Trail just without the uh, the tarp, without the covered. <laughs> it's not a covered wagon. It's an open open wagon, open station. Years ago, Duke, I was on a, in a bachelor auction over thirty years ago, and part of it was a sleigh ride in the wintertime. It was in Prince Albert. And they had a big flat deck, 25 men, 25 women, and uh, everyone was kind of on these bales and things like that. And there could have been some, you know, someone getting kind of pushed off. <laughs> it's just a minor, minor incident. Uh, when we come back, we will uh, wrap things up. We'll talk a little more. We got a lot of text with the uh, NFL and some senior hockey. Tech. We we touched on senior hockey and just a surprise, not surprised because our our listeners love talking about local sports, love talking about that, but some senior hockey texts. We'll get to some of those when we come back. To wrap things up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Yeah, all right. Welcome back to the big program. Uh, 1043 notes and quotes from around the sporting world. Connor Halley, down. Chargers have announced they are placing franchise quarterback Justin Herbert on injured reserve. Ends his 2023 season. Not surprised. That's the way it is. Uh, Stuart Skinner in the starters net for the Oilers tonight as they get set to take on the Chicago Blackhawks. Oilers 12-12-1. Seven-game winning streak where their goals for 4.86 goals against 1.71. Orders will be basically going with the same lineup, even though that uh, Evander Kane didn't take the morning skate. Uh, and the order is probably just wrapping up the uh, Oilers skate right now, the morning skate. So, uh, But that doesn't mean anything. Evander Kane very rarely takes a lot of skates and things like that. Connor Bedard with 11 goals, 12 assists, and 23 points, first uh, 27 career games, if you're keeping tabs. Connor McDavid had 29 points for through his first 27 career games, 10 goals, 19 assists. So, you know, pretty similar, kind of similar in the sense where, you know, they're start of their career. But Stuart Skinner has been absolutely phenomenal. Last six games, 6-0 and 0, a 9-31 save percentage, 1.82 goals against average. Duke, what do you make of uh, Justin Herbert? Who's uh, next in line there for Connor Easton Halley? Stick, the stick, man that should have been a man. hockey player. So the stick man's in, and then uh, O'Connell? Uh, not O'Connell, for... The starting quarterbacks for Thursday yeah, night. Aiden, Aiden, Aiden O'Connell. O'Connell. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. The matchup everybody anticipated. Uh, this is really bad news for me, Kevin. Uh, Justin Herbert, my starting quarterback for my fantasy team. Do you have a backup? Uh, yeah. So in my, is he's my quarterback in my dynasty league, and my backup is Deshaun Watson. 
who is already out. Uh, So I picked up Baker Mayfield last week as kind of um, an insurance thing. And then I've uh, got another claim uh, pending right now that we'll see if it can get through. Um, I think I might be like... You're not going to say what that claim is? Well, I know the guys in my league (laughs) listen to the show and they'll sewer me. (laughs) Playoffs start this weekend, Kevin. It's uh, And so I I finished near the uh, the third seed uh, in my dynasty league. So I'll get a decent matchup in the first round. But, man... The good thing is I won this week despite Justin Herbert, who put up negative 2.7 points. Um, and even the past couple weeks previous, not much to show for it, and those resulted in losses for me. So this might actually be a welcome change. The yeah. only benefit, uh, Josh Palmer, is uh, he, they, the Chargers did not practice yesterday, but if they had, he would have been listed as a full participant. He might be coming back. Uh, Keaton Allen would have, uh, you know, as a non-participant, Herbert going on. So Palmer's... Mm-hmm. Um, re-addition to the lineup uh, might be a big benefit for my team and for the Chargers as they uh, look to keep themselves out of uh, embarrassment category down the stretch. So, do you and you're you're in more, how many leagues are you in? Just two. Okay. So in this dynasty one, do you guys trade draft picks? Yeah. Okay. And then thing because like in even in keeper leagues when you trade draft picks, you have to there always has to be the same number of draft picks going each way. Um. In, so if you trade for, if you say, here's player X and give me a, a second, first rounder, I got to give you an eight. You have something. to give something back. Whereas in our dynasty league, you can just trade draft picks straight up. Okay. Uh, so like, and it's only three rounds, our draft, uh, drafting rookies, 12 team league. Um, so I, I held on to my picks this year. I didn't make any huge, uh, huge swings. I'm very confident in my team. It's well put together, but Mike Williams, Justin Jefferson, Jonathan Taylor, uh, the aforementioned Deshaun Watson, um, Tank Dell now. I've been hit hard by injuries, so I'm kind of limping into the playoffs here, but I'm hoping that uh, a couple big names. Here's a name I'm going to throw at you, Kevin. Okay. Rashad White, running back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. The Bucs run the ball terribly. Like they're, they're the second lowest yardage total in running the ball, but he catches the ball so much that he is the sixth or seventh ranked running back in terms of fantasy in a PPR league. Um, very quietly having great, a terrific season. A great fantasy season. Great fantasy season. I mean, individually uh, as well. He said the he's he's likely to hit 1,000 yards rushing in addition to his receiving yards. And the Bucks are the one seed in the NFC. So you know that they're uh, down the stretch when you get into fantasy playoffs, It's it matters more about having players that are still in the mix, right? Because if your team's out of it, like look at the Chargers are out of it. They're not going to, they would not rush Justin Herbert back. So they're just like, yeah, sit the rest of the season out, he's get healthy. Now. Um, so having players on teams that are in the mix fighting for playoff spots is a, is a huge benefit, I think. And that's kind of where I'm at right okay. now. Okay. In your league, I don't know how many years it's been going on, but in our league, I've what's happened, it's turned into a sick, cyclical league with people trading draft picks one year and, and saying, I'm, I'll take the bullet, I'll bite the bullet, here's my donation for my entry fee. But then the next year, they are going hard at Rebuild. it. Rebuild. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. But I, every second year it happens guys uh ours is not quite that often like if you get a good like where i'm at i'm kind of in my third year of like being a legitimate contender before that two straight years i was a bottom feeder i traded away my best players for draft picks and like in one of our rookie drafts i drafted jonathan taylor deandre swift and justin jefferson i had three picks in the top 10 so like then that turned my whole team around Mm -hmm. look where i'm at now right so it, uh, it is cyclical, and I think that's the case in most dynasty leagues and some keeper leagues, depending on format and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a battle for me. This is the first Saturday where the NFL forays into the Saturday schedule because of the college football. Yes, outside of special, like, obviously, holidays yes. and et cetera. But, but uh, on Saturday, that, it's and three wild, games. And wild card weekend, they play Saturday games yes. too, but... 
but yes. the, the first Saturday of the season, correct? T- technically, there are five teams playing Saturday that have seven and six records. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll be a great slate of games on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. Vikings play the Bengals. Both teams seven and six. Steelers at Colts seven and six. Now the team that is coming on, the team that is probably. I would say the team you don't want to play right now, Denver Broncos, in Detroit to play the Lions. So that's the third game on Saturday, uh, December 16th. So it is going to be an interesting scenario come Saturday, December 16th. Uh, So to your text, and we were talking a lot about senior hockey, and uh, this comes from Croner. Hey, Kevin, enjoy the senior hockey talk. I was fortunate enough to win the national championship in Stony Plain in 1999. Senior hockey at that time was unbelievable. They were on par with teams uh, like the Golden Bears. Okay, that's maybe a bit of a stretch there, but it was very good. Uh, In my opinion, senior hockey fell apart in Alberta when teams started to pay players fortunately the teams i played on never got paid other than equipment and a few cold beverages after the game got to the point in alberta where the teams with the highest payrolls were the best teams for example the horse lake thunder had theo Fleury. it did not help senior hockey i can tell you that traveling to seven allen cup finals in places like war road minnesota unity saskatchewan powell river bc truro nova scotia Dundas, Ontario are some of the fondest memories, not only in hockey, but life. The only way to rekindle senior hockey in Alberta is to start it at the senior level and grow it to the triple A level. As soon as we stop, start paying players to play senior hockey, it'll once again die. I mean, that's a really well-written, well-thought-out text, uh, Croner. Uh, that's exactly what happened back in the day, you know, you were you were calling them import players. Uh, players would get paid, and some of them got paid a lot of money to play senior hockey games. I mean, Bentley and, and Stoney were going at it head-to-head, and Fort Sask was in there. These were teams that were vying for players, and a lot of these players were former Alberta Golden Bears. They were former players from the Western Hockey League that – um, maybe didn't want to go to school after their career in the Western League. They felt, you know what, it's time to maybe just continue on. And But they they had that allure to win an Allen Cup. This is the oldest trophy going. Uh, I think the Allen Cup, you know, the Stanley Cup back in the day, because of senior hockey, what it resembled and what it represented, there were players that couldn't or didn't even want to play in the NHL back in the in the 40s, 50s, 30s that were considered amateur players but wanted to play at the highest level of hockey. Um, so lots of great talk with senior hockey. Uh, we're going to get on. I've got a couple of irons in the fire for tomorrow, Duke. Uh, but senior hockey is another avenue where, again, I would like to know exactly where things are local teams local well provincial teams going uh, pursuing the Allen Cup because again it always seems to be that it'll go through Rosetown uh Croner did mention Powell River they had a program in BC but always a situation where and Dundas Ontario so and Truro Nova Scotia these were teams across Canada where you would assemble the team and have time to put it together but there were there were leagues that were going on and you had that, you know, three, four, five games or six games between a couple of teams that were very good, like Bentley, like Stoney, 
Fort Sask that people enjoyed going to those games. Uh, something we'll uh, keep an eye on here. Senior hockey in Edmonton and Northern Alberta area. Thanks so much to all our guests today. Uh, Jensen Lewis, uh, Sirius XM Major League Baseball Radio. Mark Spector, Frank Saravalli, Eric Smith from the Toronto Raptors, uh, play-by-play man, and uh, Troy Murray from the Chicago Blackhawks as the Oilers get set to take on the Hawks tonight. Oilers looking for their eighth consecutive win. And a special shout-out to uh, Brian Benning for coming in studio for a whole whopping hour Duke, you never got to, you know, I thought you were going to pelt them with some, you know, like grain shovel questions and stuff like that. Anything. Yeah, you I, know. I don't know. I think that would be, uh, if I ever get the uh, the opportunity, maybe sit down over a couple uh, <laughs> cold, couple cold brews with Brian and uh, and swap some some farming stories. Because uh, like, like you guys talked about it briefly, like when you grow up in that uh, situation, and, and Brian said he didn't, he grew up in the city, but now mm-hmm. does that uh, for his uh, career now along with the battery biz. Is that it's it's a tough life, but uh, it usually can be very rewarding and uh, provide some pretty good uh, laughs or entertainment on a near day to day basis. Whether it be interacting with your coworkers, which are often your family members, the the critters running around the yard, equipment, mm-hmm. whatever the case, it uh, it's never boring. How's Nothing that? better than a cold beer that's been sitting in the slough under the cab under the seat of the tractor on a nice 30 degree day yeah, well you, you keep bounces, cold in the slough right bounces out at the end of the day you're like oh what a treat <laughs> like, i didn't know that was under there we used to keep the old at my uncle's farm in saskatchewan the cold calgary's and you can't buy calgary in alberta i don't believe maybe you can but calgary was a beer in saskatchewan they used to call it buffalo something but it was uh it was a beer that was just very race nice and refreshing duke most of them are, I found. In, uh, haven't I haven't had a bad, I I had a bad one yet? I don't discriminate. My, uh, my favorite <laughs> beer is a cold one. How's that? Uh, coming up at the top of the hour, it's the former. A Ross Shep T-Bird. Connor Alley and the Duke of Delburn with Fantasy Friends, a noon till two, the lowdown with Alan Mitchell. And then uh, Jason Greger takes us home from two till six. And, uh, of course, keep in mind the month of giving. We will have a, an, uh, another auction item on Thursday, I believe. We'll probably start it off in the morning, a nice little uh, auction item that you might want to partake, and then uh, Greg's will take over when he gets in at 2 o'clock. Coming up, top of the hour, Fantasy Frenzy. Before that, we will have a Sports 1440 update, but thank you so much for listening today again. Oilers with a chance to go to eight straight wins with a victory over Chicago tonight. We'll have an extensive post-game report tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock with our co-host, David Schlemko. Thanks again for listening. Appreciate it. We'll see you back here in the morning. Up next, a Sports 1440 update with the Duke.